Hey everybody, since we are either starting a new series or reading a standalone book, I am jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal, and we are not reading any books that depict real people as their characters in any way or are based on historical events. Second rule is that we are judging everything off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, or the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come from personal experience, not professional training. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all listeners, so please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. This week we are discussing Coraline, a book about a young girl who goes on a magical adventure to rescue herself and her parents from an uncertain fate. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin, and this is Books That Burn. Today we are discussing Coraline by Neil Gaiman. Alright, we have our factions. For the real world, we have Coraline's mom and dad. We have Miss Forcible, Miss Spink, and their dogs. We have the old man, also known as Mr. Bobo, and his mice. In the other world, we have the other mother and the other father. We have Miss Forcible and Miss Spink and dog bats. We have the upstairs man, who is technically Mr. Bobo, but we don't talk about it (laughs) when he's the upstairs man in the other world. And then we have the rats. And crossing between both worlds, we have Coraline and the cat. The cat does not have a name. The cat explains in detail why cats don't need names. Uh, For anyone who is listening to this after seeing the movie but has not read the book, listen to the episode. You'll be totally fine. The movie is an amazingly faithful adaptation. Just one note, YB is not a character in the book. His role in the movie is to be there for her to for Coraline to externalize her dialogue. It's a really smart choice from the film, but he is not in the text. All right, for our minor character spotlight, we have the ghost children and the theft of self. So these kids are, it's explicitly stated, the ghost children are what happens when the other mother is is done feeding on you. They are food. Mm -hmm. Coraline is the next meal. Yeah, and uh, One of the children describes it as, She will take your life and all you are and all you cared for, and she will leave you with nothing but mist and fog. She'll take your joy, and one day you'll awake, and your heart and your soul will have gone. A husk you'll be, a wisp you'll be, and a thing no more than a dream on waking or a memory of something forgotten. Yeah. They... So we kind of get this, um... I guess the implication is that that these these are all kids who decided to stay with her. For whatever reason, mm-hmm. like she didn't shove them in the mirror and then just leave them there. Like they they decided to to abandon the real world. But they're they're literally just like uh they're they're not even ghosts necessarily, 
Are they? Like, they're just... Well, they are. They are the ghost children. Like, they don't remember their names. They have memories of, of parts of their life and other people, but... I would argue that they are a memory instead of being purely a ghost, just because the thing that they don't have is their soul. Okay. Okay, maybe uh, maybe I should have been clear. This is a mythological opinion that I have. Sure. <laughs> this, okay. Not explicit in the text. No, they this do is, ha- this is not a this is a this is a Nicole has a semantics question and thinks that these are not actually ghosts because she thinks they're the memory of ghosts because the ghost part is the soul which is the thing that has been taken from them. So, I was pre- mostly asking if that was your <laughs> read well, on this I- also. I was thinking of soul as more of, like, soul in the sense of, like, if someone, like, is really good at music, you might be like, oh, they've got, like, a lot of soul. I was thinking of it when they say, like, your heart and your soul will have gone. Yeah, I think she literally plucked their soul out from them. And then... So then you think... I think they literally have lost this thing, like a physical object. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess Coraline Coraline goes and picks up physical objects. That's true. Okay. Okay. So they are the memory. And then, because my objection to them not having souls anymore was going to be that at the uh, at the end in the dream when she's talking to them, they're much more together. And so they must have their souls. But you're right. The soul literally is the thing that they're looking for. So they've got a memory and they've got a soul. She puts the two back together and then they're free. Well, because that's why they don't remember who they are. Because mm-hmm. and then they start to yeah, because she literally took who they are. So this is mm-hmm. really this is a stripping of identity in the most literal sense, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's just very oh, man, it's very understated. Yeah, like it doesn't it doesn't dwell on it. It's not. I mean, it's it's not even as explicit as like most descriptions of like Alzheimer's or something are. Like, it's very, it's very minimal. And, I mean, that, that quote that I read is the most explicit thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that is, like, it, it's very poetic. The writing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the writing in this is so good. It's so pretty. Anyway, I will talk about that <laughs> when we're talking about what we like. Um, <laughs> it's poetry and books. So, so here's, here's one of those things where I want to actually kind of quote the author. Mm-hmm. Probably it's probably a paraphrase, but essentially, uh, I I know he's sta- I know he stated in interviews that this is the strangest book that he's ever written mm-hmm. because children read this as an adventure story and adults read this as a horror story, and I think that the the implications of the ghost children being trapped there because their souls have been taken but they are still there Mm -hmm. i think that is a major part of what makes this feel like a horror story to to adults to adults yeah because even like the other two things that we're going to talk about are they're they're honestly if they're more common in other works they're more common but they're also more just like things that as i mean as sad i mean as our podcast is demonstrating they're things that don't necessarily cross it over into the horror genre even when they're really awful right and they don't and they're and they're things that are i think more common just in the real world and and not not common in the real world and that makes it fine but common in the real world as in like adults just kind of look at it and go oh yeah that happens whereas like whereas like the 
the theft of of your literal self of who you are being plucked out and also Coraline going ooh hide and seek all right let me go find these like i mean she's not quite that just cavalier about it but but just the idea that her response is oh okay so all i have to do is find them and and that and then it's all fine that is that is definitely something that i think is is one of those things that shoves this book into horror territory for for adults reading it for the first time Mm -hmm. Um, but i also think that it's one of those things where it's handled delicately enough and it's handled succinctly enough that yeah it makes sense that it would be something that would pull a child in and go make them go oh this is an adventure she's rescuing them this is good this is cool you know this is interesting yeah so uh i just i just thought that was interesting and and also i think it's I think it's interesting that the author has had that kind of feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely, most of the horror is fridge horror and implications. Like, it's not gory. No, <laughs> not at all. Like, yeah. <laughs> Moving on to Coraline. With mind games, double think, and gaslighting. Mainly gaslighting. Yeah. So we should be clear, because we have two we have two two worlds here that we're talking about. And we have conveniently enough, we have two uh two um traumas that we're discussing. This particular trauma is located in the other world. The other mm-hmm. mother's world. Yep. And she, so she wants, she wants Coraline to stay with her and she wants, because she's hungry and Coraline is her, her food. Mm -hmm. But like, she, I find it really interesting that she does this. She essentially tries to do like as little work as possible for herself. So she's trying to convince Coraline to, to want to be there. Like, there's this impl- I mean it's there's not even just an implication. It downright shows us that she very well could just like wait for her to wander down the tunnel and then just pick her up and drop her in a box and seal the key and then shut the door and that would be it. Yeah. Like she co- she totally could have just been like, oh, "Okay, you're my prisoner. I've now trapped a meal. I'm just going to wait." But there's a lot of uh spider symbology. There's a lot of like uh, explicitly stated, like webs that she's weaving, both mm-hmm. physical and and um, metaphorical, and, she- and saying that she's like a spider, and spiders don't need to build any more of the world than their web. Yeah, and and things like that, where she very much wants Coraline to choose her, to pick her, and her chosen method of doing that is really to to just make Coral or try and make Coraline feel like that her parents have literally physically abandoned you. And 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 I think that this is kind of I I don't think it's unintentional that she picks that thing. I think that she is choosing the thing that she is trying to convince Coraline of based off of how her parents actually do treat her. Oh, absolutely, because like if someone's problem at home is that they've got like helicopter parents who won't leave them alone mm-hmm. then then hey look i'm gonna escape do from an this. opposite tactic yeah exactly right. um but she like she there's just a lot of instances in this book 
And it's not very long, and we still get a lot of different instances where she is essentially saying, hey, this thing I'm that's happening to you, here's how I think you should interpret it, and it's just another reason why you should come stay with me forever. Mm-hmm. Like, check out, say, look, like, you can't find your parents. Clearly, they've just abandoned you. You should stay with me forever. Oh, you like she even the makes food this, here? Like- Clearly, I just feed you better. You should stay with me forever. Like, that's that's it. That's the whole end game. She even makes this, like, weird pantomime thing where she shows through the mirror how it looks in the other world. Oh and it's, my like, Coraline's parents walking in and loudly announcing how awesome it is that they don't have a kid anymore. Yeah. Uh, like, and then she tells her that mirrors always lie. Like, oh yeah, yeah, tells her that later. Like, will you just okay? Well, you told on yourself, but all right. Hmm. I hadn't actually thought about those two things in conjunction because they are far <laughs> enough apart in the book. Oh, um, I a hundred percent read that and went, oh, well. <laughs> clearly, uh, I mean, did you mean to tell her that this is what you were doing? Like. But I mean, mean, we've demonstrated that Coraline already knows. Speaking of, like, gaslighting and contradictions and, like, look, I'll show you this thing in the mirror. (sighs) Mirrors always lie. Yeah. Uh, We then have nobody sensible believes in ghosts. That's because they're all liars. Oh, yeah. Um, Are they, do they exist and you can't trust them? Or do they not exist? Like, Nobody sensible believes ghosts because they're all liars. That would be a coherent thought. But nobody sensible believes in ghosts because they're liars. Yes. That's double think. That's double think. And also, it is intentionally set up so that she will doubt herself and and think of herself as a liar for talking to the ghost children in our from our first topic. Also, the moment where she's like, we love the sinner and hate the sin. I'm like, I... <laughs> I am so you have a sorry. particular reaction to that one. I am so sorry to anyone I ever said that to when I was a Christian. I'm oh, no. so, so <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. It's so bad. Especially when it's like, if you're, you know, a good child and you're compliant and then we will understand each other perfectly and we'll love each other perfectly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, and if you just become the thing that I want... Then I'll understand you. No problems. Yeah, it's so gross. Ah, it's just mm, because it's like I love you. I just hate everything about you and all your life decisions. But I love you. Yeah, it's it's really terrible. Uh, and it's not even something that he made up. It's a thing people actually say. And again, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, but it it's. Just also, like, when she's saying that, like, when the other mother is saying that Coraline's parents must have abandoned her and gotten bored or tired, and she's mm-hmm. like, I will never be bored. I will never abandon you. Like, in the house are three kids to whom she made the same promises and then abandoned. Yeah, literally and we've just already ate met them up them. and then walked away. Yeah, we've already met them by the time she says this, like, this is right after. That is an interesting point. Does she not know where they are? Because I she... don't think she's given it another thought. Oof. Ouch. I well. I don't <laughs> think I don't think she's given it enough thought. Like she's using their souls to power the illusion explicitly. 
but once once she's gathered their souls, they're just right. They're they just exist to, her. to power more of the web to trap more kids. Like <laughs> over time, if she had oh, more no. souls, like the house would get bigger and bigger right. and more elaborate that's what and I was have assuming. more copies, probably. Yeah. Again, that's not explicit in the text, but it's it's, it's implied for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It it's the mind games. So many mind games. And we, we've talked about, like, the main points of the mind games. Yeah. And I don't really have anything else to add for this section. Like, our our last topic is going to be the biggest one with the most to say. Mm-hmm. But, but in general, uh, this is showing a thing that happens a lot. That is, if you just do exactly what I want, we won't have a problem. Like, mm-hmm. that kind of language really gets used in the real world all the time. Yeah. And it just, like, squishes people. And a Oh, it's awful. Because you, you, you hear it and you think, well, if I was... You, you look at it yourself and you're like, well, if I was just this thing, or if I was better, or if I was something they could bother to care about or understand or love then we would all be fine but it's not on you to do that and but it's set up but it's set up to make you think that it's your fault that they don't treat you very well Mm -hmm. and that's absolutely the setup that is that is happening here yeah because then you're like if i can just be this other thing that isn't me then Mm -hmm. it'll be fine that that can be anything from talking less to talking more to like trying to be less queer like it's so it's so yeah. many things. It's so pervasive and it works for literally anything that anyone wants you to to edit about yourself to suit them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and sh- I think having it explicitly contradicted, I think it's really important that the reader doesn't get gaslit during this book. Oh yeah. Because every time you have one of these things for the other mother, other than the very first Look, I'm awesome. I made food. Can we put buttons in your eyes? Right. Other than that first introduction, which again almost immediately has, well, you can have this if we can mutilate you. Um, other than that very first introduction, every time the other mother lies, we've already we already have the evidence that she's lying. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. Oh yeah, for absolutely. The reader. Well, we we it's not even just that we don't only have the we have the evidence that she's lying, but also Coraline's inner monologue directly says, "Oh no, that is incorrect. You are lying to me." Yeah, and I think that that's that's important too, especially because this is a book for children about children. Well, I guess it's not for children. It's not explicitly only for children, but it's a book about yeah. a child and it's written for children to be able to access and it's very I think it's a very good uh demonstration of a concept, especially if it's going to be very close to real language that people really use. Oh yeah, very yes, very much so. It's very much a a look. See this thing? That's a lie. <laughs> and we'll definitely talk about it in the wrap up. I just wanted to highlight it here. Yes. Okay, so actually moving on to the next section now. All right, so Coraline 
dismissal uh, of her desires combined with neglect, both from the parents and from the other parents. So our own guess on the podcast of how old Coraline is, is we think she's like between eight and 10. We don't get it explicitly ever in the book. But a lot of the way her parents interact with her has kind of the feeling of she's starting to have autonomy and they haven't noticed. It's not even just that they haven't noticed. It's it's that combined with when she tries. Well, it's I honestly, I wouldn't even. They're I not taking even, it seriously. Like, well, they it's, I think it's more than that. I, I don't think that she's just starting to have autonomy. I think that 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 they have abandoned her for so much for so long that she just has almost forced autonomy. Yeah, like they they totally dismiss her from rooms often without looking her at her. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they're like, oh, you can't go in that nice room, and like I understand there being like a front room or a parlor where you don't want someone playing in it but it sounds like she can't even walk well they don't want they don't want the furniture getting they don't want things getting touched they don't want things getting messed up they don't want things getting moved or broken or wear and tear appearing on them also like the the furniture in question is from a deceased grandparent so like it's it's an heirloom it probably has sentimental value to to want whoever's whoever's grandparent whoever's parent it was but she doesn't get all that context. She just gets, oh, no. oh you she can't just, be in there. She, but I mean, like, but that's not even as bad. Honestly, I wasn't even thinking of that as, like, a negative thing. That's just, hey, this is the room that we don't touch unless we have company, okay? Okay. And, like, that's actually, that feels fine to me. Well, no, I was more thinking <laughs> of it in the, um, like, she gets, I was more going to bring up, she gets weirdly inconsistent roles. Because oh, she's not allowed I to gotcha. be, she's not allowed to be in there. But when her dad is trying to get her out of his face, he's like, "Count the windows, find everything blue," and he says like one other thing, and she says, "Well, what about that room?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, go in that room. That's fine. Like <laughs> it's fine as soon as it's to help oh, get her out I- of his face." Actually. I would like to posit a different theory. Okay, sure. I think it's the mom that just doesn't want her in there and the dad doesn't care. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's explicit that her mom says, no, we don't touch that furniture. Actually, I'm going to make a conjecture and say that it's probably the mom's parent who died, the mom's mother who died. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, in terms of like the dynamic of, we, yeah. we, we explicitly have a dynamic of like one very strict parent and oh, yeah. one super lax parent. Yeah. And they're they're both ignoring her. <laughs> yeah. Um the mom is and and the mom like there's there's a weird parallel here where both the mother and the other mother just run right over and dismiss things that Coraline cares about in view of what they want. Mm-hmm. Like when the like when her real mother takes her shopping, she asks essentially for like one item that she would like to have. She would like gloves. I think it was gloves. Yeah, it's gloves. That are bright and shiny and cool and silly. And her mom basically goes, nah, you don't need those. And, and- like, yeah, but that that's true. She doesn't. But that's not the point. And the other mother, the other mother, it's 
I want us to play. You don't want to play? Well, that's not what I want. Yeah. And I with the gloves, I think it's it's clear from the way it's described that this is like buying everything they need for a school uniform. And mm-hmm. so she's like, I want to have some individuality. I don't want to be all like my peers, even though I'm in a uniform. And mm-hmm. her mother says, basically, like, that's a silly thing to want. Instead of saying, the dress code says you can't wear the gloves. Do you want to have them to wear at home? Like, something. Like, something yeah. that acknowledges why Coraline can't have what she wants for a reason other than I don't want to bother. Mm-hmm. Thinking about the the movie, the movie, like just super briefly, you might, if you're, if you only watch the movie and then you're coming to the book, you might not get as much of that feeling because the movie makes it look like maybe they're saying no to all this stuff because of money problems. The book doesn't have that characterization. And so we don't, in this text, we don't have any of that context or that extra to say that there is like a real reason for her parents to just dismiss what she wants. Yeah. And that doesn't reflect either necessarily positively or negatively on the movie. It's just, oh no, it's it's, it's just it's a, just it's a, a different medium. It's a yeah. different medium. And and yeah. here in the book, they they don't show it. Like mm-hmm. we don't we don't know what their parents do. We just know they're always busy. Well, we know that they're busy on the computer. Well, yeah, her dad's busy That's on the it. computer. That's all we get. I think her mom's busy on the computer. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So there is a, we we kind of had an interesting thing in our notes here because so she, so she doesn't want, she specifically doesn't like food that her parents provide because her mom just makes something frozen and just like heats it up. Right. Mm-hmm. And her dad makes quote unquote real meals according to her. But it's a but, real meal where, like, it's a half real the meal, pizza's under and half the pizza's over. Yeah, it's a real meal that he, like, tries from a recipe, and he, he tries to make it, like, really complicated and fancy. And it and she explicitly says, essentially, that she doesn't like recipes, but also there's kind of this implied, like Robin was just saying, there's kind of this implied, like, it's not just that she doesn't like it, it's that he just doesn't make it very well and it's gross and she doesn't want to eat something that's gross. Yeah. And, but then I found it really interesting that like, so she is left to kind of, so she, so then when she basically says like, I don't want to eat that, her parents are like, okay, well fend for yourself child. And, and I made the point that she's always able to fend for herself because they put food for Coraline to eat when she doesn't like what we ate. But Nikki made the counterpoint that why didn't they just make what Coraline wanted to eat? And or, if she's, or, I mean, it's not even why didn't they just make that? I just, I just say I'm just my argument. Uh huh. Sure. Is that? Yeah, sure, little kid. You can forage in your own home. Is not providing for a child. Yeah, that's my argument. Is that? Yeah, and also I don't actually think that they explicitly have food for her for when, uh. She doesn't want their food. I don't think that's what's happening. Oh, you think, think she's just eating stuff? Oh, no. 
I think that the food that she is preparing is the food that her mom buys because she would have made it if the dad didn't make dinner. Hmm. And yes. She doesn't like it when her mom makes it. She doesn't like it when her mom makes it because she thinks it's boring, but she will microwave her own frozen pizza. Interesting. Or whatever it is. It's not explicitly pizza. But Well, there is there is one where she talks about microwaving a frozen pizza. About a frozen pizza. pizza? That, yeah. That was that is actually a food that I remember because I went, ooh, you're supposed to put that in the oven. <laughs> okay. I remember thinking that. But um but no, but I, I think it is an interesting juxtaposition here where I don't actually think that she's eating food that's different from what her parents are providing. Mm-hmm. I think that she is i guess looking for control over it or looking for like well if i have to fend for myself at least this is something i chose kind of yeah and, and again it's a- the characterization here is thin enough that we get into speculation really fast um do you want to move on oh, to yeah. how she's treated about her name oh my god yeah so the the this is this neg- is this treatment neglect or is it I I think it contributes I, I to like the broader is. well adults who literally aren't responsible for her not remembering her name very well I don't I don't think that is neglect or abuse I think that Oh it, I'm not saying them forgetting her name is neglect or abuse Okay I'm, I'm saying that when she says my name is Coraline and they go no it's not it's Caroline Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's weird. It's, I think it's a combination of old people being like, that's <laughs> definitely not the words that I heard, Caroline. What are you talking about? Your parents said your name is Caroline. Like, oh, that's a horrifying. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if. Because her parents definitely call her Coraline. <laughs> Right. I th- I think that just the old people around her don't think it's a real name and just I don't, don't... think they listen to her. Oh yeah. I don't they think definitely they don't listen her. to her. Well, cuz the old man heard the rat. Mhm. Oh, the but... ma- the mouse. Yeah. The ma- no, it's a rat. Um no, real world it's mice, other world oh. it's rats. Just kidding. Yep. I thought so it was rats. So the mice forever. called her Coraline and he's like, "It's weird that the mice don't know your name." And she's yeah, like, "So clearly he heard them, but then they didn't he didn't hear her." That's a good point. If they can hear it when someone else says it. Yeah. It it more builds into the bigger picture of her feeling unseen and unheard. In any other book, I wouldn't call it neglect, but it definitely builds to the emotional um Mm -hmm. it builds into the feeling of this world in Mm -hmm. a really smart way especially since like being a kid and not having people take seriously what you want to be called oh yeah if it's anything from i don't like my nickname to i don't like my given name please use my nickname like yes at minimum like that happens a lot Again, not spending a ton of time on that, just mentioning how it, it really it builds it's into really the overall bad. feeling that her identity and her decisions are not taken seriously. Yeah, and and we also like we kind of talked about this well because we have to when we're putting together our notes, yeah, our own notes. So we when we do this podcast, we always have we kind of put our minor character first, no matter what, right? Mm-hmm. But then with our main character 
we go in in what we feel is the order of escalation. So like the most impact that the trauma has on the character or the more severe the trauma and the way it's written, it goes second. Mm-hmm. We honestly think that what seems like a lifetime pattern of neglect and abandonment and ignoring her as a human being we think that that is more traumatic to her and it affects her more than the than the gaslighting villain than the villain and the plot of the book of this thing that's happening to her like feel free to to, read the book and then disagree with us oh yeah no if you if you if you read it or you watch the movie and you do not think that's true okay cool (laughs) but when we were when we were reading this we really looked at it and went like man the underpinning for why this other trauma happened really is that her parents just don't take care of her yeah and as a as a person they just kind of buy food and make sure that she has clothes and then that's it yeah and they don't interact with her they don't play with her at all and not even not even just not playing with her like i would i would i think that the first half of that sentence is the most accurate they just don't interact with her yeah i think it's time to move on within this topic to how she gets neglected in the other world oh yeah now we've got the setup the baseline (laughs) for how she was at home yeah oh she was yeah go for it so in the other world the most extreme form of neglect in this book is that she gets locked in a room with no food or water for some indeterminate amount of time. And she gets threatened with being locked up until she's good, which is compliant, which is until she says she will love the other mother. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is that this event is part of why this topic is our second one but it is uh she she gets she gets locked in this room with with nothing and she's told Mm -hmm. that she has to change her personality reference her earlier section on gaslighting she's basically told that she has to lose her personality in order to get out and have freedom yeah Um, and then there's this she gets offered like so she's locked in this room with nothing and then back to back is offered anything everything that she's told her real parents that she wants as like a bribe to get to stay and it made her it made her want to leave and be like no i didn't want those things because they were those things i wanted them because i wanted them and i wasn't getting them and it has like a weird it's got a weird message because it seems like she's now fine with how inattentive her parents are because it's better than getting locked in cupboards by or locked behind mirrors by the other mother which it's a weird potentially squicky message you you'd pushed back on when we were talking about the ending of this book did you have any specific thoughts here wait what what which part did i push back on 
Um, I had started to say that she was now willing to accept their level of inattentiveness because it's better than active abuse. Oh my gosh. Okay. You had lots of thoughts. I I do have lots of thoughts on that. I, (laughs) sorry, I had, I had forgotten which part I had. Yeah. Had a thought. Okay. So (laughs) I don't think she's accepting the real world. Mm -hmm. I disagree. (laughs) Okay. Um, I I think that she says that as a line to the other mother to throw it in her face and to make her upset enough to act the way that she needs her to act so she can snatch the snow globe. Okay. I think I think it is a direct manipulation on Coraline's part um that is kind of she's kind of feeding back on what she knows the other mother doesn't want because she wants her mad and not paying attention in that moment. And on top of that, I, I, she, so she, she definitely like, she definitely looks at it and says essentially that just, she, I, I think she really does believe that if she just got everything she wanted, that's not fun. That's not helpful. Like, she doesn't want, she doesn't want to just be handed the things she asks for, but I don't think that's because she's accepting the, the neglect in the real world and i don't think that her i think that she just i think she recognizes a little bit more that her parents are not doing this on purpose and i think she she appreciates that they are trying to do things like her dad trying to cook and come up with cool recipes for his family and and give them food and stuff and she is trying to appreciate them more okay but I think that that is because the other mother makes it very clear that the other mother wants her to be what she wants. And she goes, oh, good. My parents aren't like that. But I don't think it's because she thinks that it's all fine now. Yeah. It's like she's trying to reach out to them more. Right. Knowing- like she's kind of she's kind of saying like, OK, well, what they're doing isn't OK. But instead of just demanding that they come to me, I'm going to go to them maybe a little bit and see if it gets better. Yeah. And I, I yeah, I don't think she's just fine with it. Um, but also, I think that she's she's still I mean, she still is. She still reads as very young. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is almost maybe a little bit of maturing on her part inadvertently. <laughs> Where instead of saying, well, you know, we don't have a good relationship or they don't treat me very well, so I'm going to be in their face and demand that they pay attention to me. Instead, she's saying, hey, I'm going to reach out to them and try and be part of what they're doing for me, like dinner time. Hi, Haku. And and I, I don't think, by the way, I'm not condoning that as a a method of of a, a reaction to abuse like it is not your job to reach out and make your abuser stop yeah um but i do think that that is the i do think it makes sense that that is the motivation here mm-hmm. um, i think she's trying to appreciate them as parents more but but also it's not it's not an excuse and she doesn't it's and she doesn't say like oh it's fine now she just says that hey Maybe I don't need everything handed to me. I just want to be legitimately heard and taken care of. Yeah. 
And then also, like, at the very end, she uses the fact that they're not paying a lot of attention in order for her to be able to handle the logistics of tricking the hand into the well and making everything actually be resolved. Well, that is the other thing, too, is that she straight up doesn't even consider going to her parents for help when she has a literal piece of a monster stalking her to try and get back access to her. It doesn't even occur to her. Her parents were kidnapped and locked away and helped her get out, in theory. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't even ask if they remember it. Yeah, well, she said that it doesn't seem like they do. They don't appear to have noticed that they're missing two days. We do have a line about that, but again, I don't know all of what they said or did to make her come to that conclusion, because it doesn't describe it. Like, it's not important to the plot, and so we don't get that. Right. And it it works in the story, it just makes it a little bit harder to talk about the book from the angle that we are approaching it. I would honestly love to have a sit down with this author and just ask him about this book yeah <clears throat> but all right that's all yep. i had all right moving on to the <clears throat> wrap-up <clears throat> on to the wrap-up and ratings for the first topic uh the ghost kids what is our gratuity rating um, I think in the text, it's actually pretty mild. Yeah. An off-screen. Yeah. Or mild no. off-screen. Mild, mild and backstory? backstory? Yeah. 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 Mild and backstory. Um, Like we said in the specific section, most of the horror is fridge horror, and it's not explicit in the text. And for the uh, gaslighting. Um, I'm... I'm really not quite sure about this one. Okay. Um, I think I'd say it's 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 moderate. I would make an argument. So is your argument that it's severe? I want to make an argument for both mild and severe. Interesting. I like yeah. it. Okay. And then tell me what. Sure. And if we have to compromise with moderate, I understand. But mm-hmm. so I, my argument for mild is that the protagonist is never. The protagonist immediately identifies it, calls it out in her own head, and is not, in the text, guilted by it or feeling like it is her fault or quote-unquote falls for it. Mm -hmm. And I think it is handled in a way where, uh, kind of as the author has talked about in interviews, like a smaller child reading this is not going to feel gaslit. And also, they're going to recognize people... They're going to have more of a context for for how to recognize people lying to them by telling them things that aren't real are real or things that are real aren't in either direction. Uh, So in that case, I think it is mild and also a very, very, very good demonstration of calling it out, even if it's in your own head. My argument for severe is that it is pervasive, blatant, in your face, and the adults who read this in context seeing it more as a horror story it's going to be reflective of things that are said in the real world in very very abusive ways and also a couple of the lines that we do call out in our segment are pulled directly from their their quotes that are used as abusive gaslighting in the real world 
Yeah. Uh, so how about how about we go with? I think it's in in conclusion. I think it is mild or severe, depending on your own context and framing in your own life. I think and I would go ahead and say that it is severe, but treated with care. Okay, that is also fair. so. I now know what we're going to say two segments down, but I think that's how, I think that's the distinction that you're parsing, because what you're saying is, it is blatant and heavy-handed and constant, but not- and super gentle. <sighs> but, but, yeah, but also, yeah. also gentle. And I think that's why we have two separate ratings for this. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. All right. Uh, neglect. It I think is... this is actually very severe. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep, it's so severe that people not doing things <laughs> is the major trauma in the book. That's that's how much the neglect is. Yeah. Yep, and I think that's all we need to say about that here. Yep. All right. Uh, For the why ghost kids. Yeah. Uh, they are integral to the plot. The ghost children, specifically. Yeah, the ghost children and... The fact that they are ghost children is also integral to the is plot. Is also integral to the plot, and that is more of the actual trauma. The gaslighting is also integral to the plot. Mm -hmm. It's the that's what the whole thing is about. And then the neglect is integral, integral because it's there's a reason for her to even yeah. It's what it's what primed her to be vulnerable to the events of the book. Yeah. Yep. Treating with care. Ghost children. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And done done oh so well. Um, a couple of well-placed, beautiful quotes, one of which we quote in the in the segment. <sighs> yeah, just enough so that you understand what's going on, but not so much as uh it's just well done. Um It's very nice. Yeah. The gaslighting like I said above, that is treated with care. With delicate, um, fine, kid-centered gloves. Yeah. and Yellow the gloves. One no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's a good one. The, the one thing I do want to go ahead and say here, because I don't consider it to be a spoiler, every time we have the most heavy-handed form of gaslighting, prior to that in the text, we have been given the tools to understand that the person doing the gaslighting is objectively wrong. Mm -hmm. So we're given the tools to hang on to reality in a way mm -hmm. that protagonists who are being gaslit don't always have. Um, and in this, they, the protagonist does. And yeah. they're able to call it out when it's happening, yeah. um, which I think if you're going to have some, if you're going to have this kind of trauma and have it be that severe, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. All right. To the neglect. Uh, I think enough care. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think, I think enough care. I don't know. This one is just, I, I think, I think you're right. I think it's enough. It's definitely not just handled with care the way the others are but also i think that there isn't really a way to handle it with 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 pure care just because it's so pervasive and it's so much of just what informs the story and her responses yeah it's it's the it's the skeleton of the book it's hard to yeah it's hard it's hard to hide it <laughs> with scaffolding yeah. and yep. also and also 
in juxtaposition to what we what we just kind of said about the gaslighting, unlike the gaslighting, we don't see Coraline calling it out and working through it. Uh for the point of view. Point of view for the ghost children. Uh the point of view we are in the aftermath mm-hmm. for them and <clears throat> we get as much of their perspective as we are able to get because of the nature of their existence um we get to hear their own words for what's going on and it is some of the most beautiful prose in the book and yeah so we we get their point of view as much as is possible from a book that is first person and not their point of view. Yeah. We get them being listened to. Yeah. Yeah. For the gaslighting, uh, we get the perspective of the person being gaslit in their own head saying, that's saying, hey, not real. That's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> this is false. Yeah. You are manipulating me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and same with the aftermath. Mm-hmm. We basically just get her. uh neglect also just her because it's a first person book because it's a first person book and when you have a first person point of view of someone not being there you only get the thing yeah um (laughs) that's all that's all there is yeah we also do get what she thinks about what's going on that's true so we get her perspective on why and how things aren't happening yeah Yep. All right. Moving on to the aspiring writer tip. Do you have mm. one? Or do you just want to gush about how well he made a book that is a an adventure story for kids and a horror story for adults? I mean, probably that one. I think that... I, But I don't know how to make that a tip. Yeah. I have no clue. I don't know. This is some of the kind of feel of like uh, movies for kids that are really good movies for kids are interesting for the adult to watch because you know the kid is going to make them watch it a hundred times. <laughs> um, this isn't quite like that, but th- it has that similar thing where there's like two levels happening in yeah. the book simultaneously. Yeah. And I think part of that is from honestly describing how Coraline sees the world. Oh, absolutely. And unflinchingly describing what's happening in that world means that people who understand what those things mean know what's going on and and people who whether because of age or not having had that experience don't pick that up they just get an adventure story and it's really well written yeah i guess the i guess the tip in that is mm-hmm. don't be afraid to build in things that you don't necessarily think that your your audience is going to to pick up on like don't be afraid to to have a reason that's um not the thing that you want the character not the thing that you want the audience to automatically get out of it like like build your story yeah and describing what's going on without having it being followed up but she didn't understand why they were doing that because i've read books that do that oh yeah and it's it's boring and it's like look over (laughs) here i'm being clever and this doesn't do that (laughs) no this doesn't even this doesn't even go anywhere near that yeah it's good about that in ways similar to how his dark materials was good about that oh yeah having those levels yep all right moving on to our favorite non-traumatic thing about the book do you have yours i think you should go first (laughs) Okay, so my favorite non-traumatic thing about the book 
is the bit where the uh the other mother is tapping her eye and then the sound turns into water dripping from the sink. To be fair, part of why it's my favorite moment in the book is because like I remembered it so vividly that then when I saw the movie and they have that scene, I was just like, this movie is literally the book. It is so great. And I forgot that YB is not in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And saying my favorite thing about this book is the movie feels like a weird thing to say, but I like that's not quite it. But this is one of those rare books where I would have no qualms about being like, it's okay if you don't read the book, just make sure you see the movie. Or it's okay if you don't read the movie, yeah. if you don't see the movie, just make sure you read the book. Like, experience this story some way. Just They're go all- pick your favorite medium and just, just, just do it. <laughs> just pick your favorite medium and explore this story. Um, I haven't read the graphic novel, so I can't vouch for that. But it's just... Oh, it looked pretty. Yeah. the imagery, The imagery in the book is so good. That the, the details that are focused on just are really, really nice. Anyway, I loved I loved that moment with the sink. Um, yeah. When I was reading the book. What's yours? I I really like I I just really like that the cat doesn't need a name mm-hmm. because if you have good communication skills, according to the cat, the cat will always know when you want to talk to them. And humans are the only ones who mm-hmm. who need intentional names because they can't figure out when they're being spoken to. And it's it's such a funny concept, especially because I am a cat owner. And no, my cats 100% do absolutely need me to call their name. <laughs> and they do look at me and respond and answer if I talk to them explicitly. And it's just so funny to me because if I if I'm talking to Princess Haku is not paying attention, and if I talk to Haku, Princesses will will ignore me, but not the other way around. Like they don't ignore their own name, and it's just it's just very amusing. And just like Robin always picks the horse, I promise I'm not always going to pick the cat. I just thought that that one line <laughs> was very very entertaining. I don't always pick the horse for my favorite thing. That's because there isn't always a horse, regardless. all right i think that's it thank you so much for listening uh read the book see the movie do something Uh, (laughs) we're we're just hardcore recommending this story just 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 neil gaiman is great Coraline is great experience (laughs) somehow (laughs) good omens is great it just again book and movie we'll probably talk about that one someday just not today We've got too much in our queue, uh, but yeah, please experience experience this story. It's really, really good. Um, this is one of the books that we had in mind from the start of doing this podcast. Oh, it yeah. was like, well, we know we've got to read Garth Nix, we've got to read Philip Pullman, and we've got to read Coraline. Yeah. Just was like, this is why getting to talk about stuff like this is why we made this podcast. And we're really excited to share it with you. Just please read Coraline or something. <laughs> All right. We'll see you in a fortnight. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> All music used in this podcast was created by me as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. 
You can follow us on Twitter at Books That Burn, all one word. Email us with questions, comments, or book re- recommendations at Books That Burn at Yahoo.com. Support us on Patreon.com slash Books That Burn. All patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout-out. Leave us an iTunes review. This really helps people to find the show. And find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.